You know, one of the interesting things for all the talk on the political sphere about how much we care about jobs, you know, it doesn't stand up to a lot of scrutiny when you look at specific areas about how easy is it to do business. And one of the ways is, of course, over-regulation. So I'm so pleased to have with me Laura Jones is Executive Vice President Chief Strategic Officer of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Now, they've got business in mind. Laura, thanks for finding the time for us. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Michael. Let, let's start with this whole thing. I mean, you are the one, actually, you and the CFIB originating the Awareness Week for red tape and how much uh, how onerous it is. I did a little thing last week on Nova Scotia uh, appointing a bureau to look at the red tape for doctors. And it was a huge percentage. Over a third of them they found were unnecessary, which represented thousands of patient visits. That could have happened, but the doctor's doing some red tape stuff. And I think that's across the board. That's At least that's my sense of it. Yeah, no, we've been doing Red Tape Awareness Week for 14 uh, years now. And when I go back and think about, it seemed like kind of a crazy thing to start 14 years ago. But it just seemed to me that governments do three important things that affect our lives. They tax, they spend, and they regulate. And when it comes to taxes and spending, there's a fair amount of debate and discussion and accountability and transparency. We can argue that, you know, of course, we'd always want more accountability, but there's a fair amount of that. When it comes to regulation, there's way too little. And when we started this 14 years ago, there was almost nothing in the way of any kind of government measures of the burden. Uh, occasionally, you know, you'll get a red tape story that is just so crazy that it'll hit the front page of the paper and everyone says, oh, that's crazy. We shut down a kid's lemonade stand or that's too much red tape. But it, there wasn't a concerted effort to say, how do we have more accountability when it comes to regulation? And I would differentiate between necessary rules and red tape. So how do we, there should be accountability for the whole thing, um, both necessary rules and red tape, but the red tape side, if we can reduce and eliminate red tape, we are freeing up time um, and energy and money to spend on the things that we care about. Um, and so this year we looked at the doctor's um, side of it. We took what Nova Scotia did and we said, hey, let's look at um, what could happen if we uh, freed doctors up? And just if we just freed doctors up from 10% of the red tape that they deal with, that's the equivalent of 5.5 million patient visits across Canada every year. So here's a problem that governments are hand-wringing over and that is having serious negative consequences on Canadians. We took a filter and we said, Let's look at this through a red tape lens and what could we do? And I give Nova Scotia a lot of credit. We gave them a Golden Scissors Award last year for the work they're doing. Um, they're, they've done some groundbreaking work um, on this front. And we're encouraging other provinces to do the same. Manitoba just announced uh, in, in during our Red Tape Awareness Week, I'm proud to say that they're going to follow suit. Anyway, big topic, lots to talk about, but it should be a lens. Whether we're talking about housing affordability or healthcare availability, this should be a lens that we consider um, when we're trying to have better outcomes in these areas. And it's too often neglected. Well, I'm wondering if people aren't as focused on this because they don't appreciate the cost. Like when you raise a tax, a lot most people get, oh, that's going to cost me more, you know, if they raise sales taxes, for example, or, or some other aspect. And a lot of people I don't find have a clear vision uh, of 
how it's passed through to consumers. Or in the case you just mentioned with the doctors, I mean, you know, we're all complaining we can't get a doctor's visit and yet, and so are the premiers, by the way. And yet, man, you remove useless red tape. And I want to emphasize what you just said, which is you're not talking about deregulating society. You're talking about getting rid of useless red tape. And it seems that every time someone has a look, there's not just a couple out there. There's tens of thousands of useless, ineffective regulations that no level of government is measuring their effectiveness. Yeah, I think there are a couple of things. I think, first of all, you're right. It's just not as visible as taxes. You know, if taxes go up, that's very that's very visible to people. You feel it. And so you're quite right that when we're, especially when it's kind of that a lot of little hits that you're taking to your time and energy, it's got to be pretty bad before you um, start um, getting upset and pretty visible and pretty noticeable. Um, I want to come back to the doctors because this we can we can actually look at some examples of how this plays out. When Nova Scotia set its target for a ten percent uh, red tape reduction, they're having to really roll up their sleeves, Mike, and and really look at you know what are the irritants. And so I'll give you an example. One form they have there is um, the doctors need to fill it out so that patients can have um, access to employment assistance. So this is pretty important, and this is like hitting low income individuals. Apparently, this form is called the blue form. It was just a nightmare. The doctors were flagging it as a problem. When you look at what they're doing to streamline that form, it's really roll up your sleeves kind of work. Where can we take something that you had to fill in and turn it into a checkbox? How can we make sure you only fill out the parts of the form that you need to fill out? That takes a lot of, of time. Um, but just that one form alone, streamlining it, they're estimating that it's saving 10 to 30% of the time per form, which is translating to, on the conservative end of that, translating to 6,000 hours a year, which is 18,000 patient visits. It's in a small province. This is significant. And I don't think we can afford to ignore it anymore. For a long time, um, you know, we didn't have some of the challenges we have now, like labor shortages and other, other things. But we've got labor shortages. We've got an aging population. I mean, red tape, you can't afford at the best of times. But, you know, I, I've been saying, like, I'm imagining my capacity to deal with all this red tape at 80 is going to be a little different than it was at, at 40. Right. And, and, and also we've got labor shortages. So it's, it's really important. We get on top of this. Well, it is so timely what you've put out because of course we've got the premier's meeting with the prime minister on healthcare this week, but that's one of many meetings that have taken place. We've got every politician talking about healthcare. Why? Because the public's finally saying, I can't get a family doctor as one example, or we rank last when it comes to uh, waiting for treatment uh, in an emergency room after four hours of being there. Uh, the list is a long one. I've chronicled them on this show, but it's such a pertinent topic when you can translate it the way the CFIB has into, it's not just red tape. Those are 6,000 visits or 18,000 visits, 6,000 hours, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, and I hope that that gets people's attention uh, well, as well it should, given that's such a top concern. And another one that you've uh, looked at is, of course, affordability in real estate. And again, I don't think people appreciate to the degree to which regulation slows down supply. And man, we've got a supply shortage. Oh, yeah, we've got to do, you know, I think there's a, a big deep dive that we've we've got to do on on how red tape affects affordability of housing. Um, it's 
in some ways, it's it's like the healthcare issue. It's low hanging fruit um, to uh, get rid of some of that. And again, Nova Scotia is leading the way. I'll tell you one thing. I think they're doing right in Nova Scotia is their um, service effectiveness and and regulatory reform team reports directly to the premier. And they come in behind the priorities of the premier. And so they're now looking at housing affordability. And I'm excited to see what they might uh, come up with And because I think it will be replicable. Uh, uh, there's so many horror stories around um, the kind of bureaucratic nightmares you get into um, on, the, on the permitting side when it comes to um, housing. And of course, not just housing, big projects. There's lots of, lots of areas we could talk about where we would get a significant economic lift. Um, if we were able to reduce uh, red tape. So I, I think they're, they've, they've got that right. The other one I wanted to mention, uh, Mike, just as an example, is, is what happened with passports. I mean, what a mess. Like we gave them the paperweight award this year. But here's the kind of impact it has on people. I mean, we can, we can just, everybody's like, oh yeah, that was a mess. But if you were in that nightmare, about a quarter of people had to take time off work to deal with their passport issues. And, and another quarter had to cancel travel plans. That's incredibly stressful for people. And, you know, there's no way to really put a financial um, price tag on that. But 5% were paying people to stand in line. And this is the kind of thing that I think makes people feel very uneasy at a, at a deep level because you want to be proud of your government. And I think Canadians in particular, you know, peace, order and good government. But you have a you have a, a, a an experience like that on something as basic as a passport. And you kind of go peace, order and, and hold on a minute. Where did the good government go? Like what's going on here? Like it kind of undermines that trust between government and the people that government serves. So it's more important than the dollar value that we can assign to it. it. It's the stress, the time, the confidence in government. It's, it's all these intangible things. Well, it's funny, uh, at the opening comment, which you wouldn't have heard, I was talking about Yves Giraud, you know, Parliamentary Budget Office, talking specifically what you're saying. And I mean, it's it's hard to go away with any kind of positive feed. He says, um, he, he just says that the public sector is not working. It's broken. And he uses the passport department as a specific example. But one of many, especially if you read any Auditor General's reports, this is not a new revelation, but people, you know, experience that one firsthand. But it just seems across the government. And, and that's what I was going to ask you. It would seem like, why would this be a left or a right issue, you know, in this country? Efficiency shouldn't be, I would think, that uh, giving taxpayers the best benefit of their money, and then you've got other money to either give back to taxpayers or spend on something else. I mean, it's, but I mean, every Auditor General's report chronicles uh, ineffective spending, unmeasured spending, missing billions, literally missing billions. So I'm not surprised that they're not taking on regulation. In fact, I think it's not in their interest to actually take on regulation because we've hired so many people to regulate. Yeah. And it, I mean, it comes back to accountability measurement. Where is that going to come from? And I think sometimes the push for this has to come from outside of government. And so that's where, um, you know, I've actually had a, 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 a quite a long interest, a career long interest in this because I was fascinated by how much accountability there was on the tax and, and government spending side compared to regulation. And, you know, there have been some good efforts in Canada. Like Canada could really be a leader in this space. Mike, I agree with you, first of all, it shouldn't be partisan. This is not a partisan issue. 
This is about account- any more than having accountability with government spending is a partisan issue. Like those aren't partisan issues. That's basic accountability. You and I might disagree on where there should be more regulation or how much regulation, but that there be some measurements, some accountability to the public on what's going on. I think most sensible people, their heads are nodding uh, to that. And so with that, you need better measurement. And we do have some good examples in, um, in Canada around that. British Columbia, actually, 2001, one of the first provinces to start measuring the overall burden of regulation. How many regulatory requirements are in the system? They set a target to reduce it by one third in three years. They met that target. But I'll tell you, Mike, at the time, I remember talking to ministers and saying, then what are you going to do once that target's hit? And they said, well, then we're done. We don't need to measure anymore. And I said, how fast do you think regulatory creep is going to set back in again if you stop measuring and reporting? Fortunately, They've kept at it. And so we actually can track now. We've got, you know, 20 years of data in British Columbia. Is it perfect? No. Would I like to see other measures in in BC and in other provinces? Yes. But other provinces are starting to follow that lead. We've now got good measures in Manitoba. Alberta's come on board. Um, Nova Scotia is doing a good job, Saskatchewan. So we've we've got some momentum. I don't want to leave your listeners thinking there's no hope on this, but it's just that there's a lot more that needs to be done. And again, I don't want to put words in your mouth. uh, And so this is me talking, everyone. As you can tell the difference in our voices, I think. (laughs) But Laura, I mean, it is incredible to me to see the disconnect between politicians who at least pay lip service to economic growth. And here is low-hanging fruit about how to boost economic growth, very much like interprovincial trade barriers, which is, again, regulation. But, uh, you know, we can have a big boost, as you say, in economic growth without costing taxpayers or the government anything. It's not like their favorites of let's put $3 billion into this and you'll get 7 million jobs. Well, you know, at the rate they're talking about it, we'll each have three jobs by tomorrow morning. But this is one of the things that does not cost. It saves. And uh, that's why I find it so astounding, so little attention that's paid to it. And I don't know if it would resonate with Canadians if some politician stood up and said, this is going to be a major plank of my economic side of the platform. But, I mean, it just seems like uh, such an easy thing to do. I don't have to spend if I'm a politician. I don't have to go into my budget. I'm just making things more efficient. And the, the rest will take care of itself. And, in fact, I'll get more revenue from taxes. Yeah, I think it is. It, it's low hanging fruit in the sense that it doesn't have to be expensive, and there's a big lift you can get. I mean, the healthcare yeah. stuff shows ten percent reduction in red tape, and we're talking about five point five million patient visits across Canada. Wow, I mean that's that's a that's a big lift. But I think that the challenge with it is that it is it requires a it's it it, it it's also it's low hanging fruit, but it's also a tough slog in a way because it requires a sustained commitment to stuff that isn't necessarily going to feel like something that you can put in lights politically. I mean, that's what Red Tape Awareness Mm -hmm. Week for us is about. It's like, how do we take some of these good initiatives, like what's going on in Nova Scotia, give them a Golden Scissors Award, put it on the national um, uh, stage, encourage other provinces to do it and say, there's something in it for you if you do this. Um, politically and bureaucratically, we will be applauding. There will be applause from outside of government um, for this work because it's a tough slog to go through all those forms and figure out which fields are still needed and which ones aren't. I mean, I don't, you know, that's not, 
for most people, that's not their idea of a good time. And it's not politically sexy or glamorous. So I think that's the challenge that associations and others outside of government who are concerned about this have is how can we creatively put the pressure on um, in order to encourage the right thing. And by the way, Mike, I know we're talking about some of the business impacts and some of the impacts in healthcare, but I would say, I often say that small businesses are disproportionately hit relative to big businesses. But if you extend that even further, I would say those with low incomes, those um, with disabilities, those who have other challenges are even harder hit. You know, the fewer resources you have to deal with this, the harder it is. And often those with low incomes are navigating some fairly serious paperwork um, in order to get the support they need. Yeah. And it was, there's a couple of things there. Um, but I want to talk a little bit more about the smaller businesses because it may be, I mean, I'm saying it's expensive across the board as you are, but you know, maybe a big firm actually has a department to deal with it. They may have an in-house lawyer as an example, and what, or maybe a couple of accountants who, who look at this kind of stuff specifically, but come on, when you're a small business, you don't have those luxuries. And so it's expensive and it's time consuming. And I have yet to meet a single person who started their own business. And I love those people. I, 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 I just think they show so much uh, fortitude and courage, et cetera, especially in the last several years, who said, you know what? I want to go in business so I can fill out paperwork. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Said, right. said no one ever. Yeah. yeah. No, that's not why they go into business. And of course, a certain amount of paperwork and, um, you know, complying with rules is important. And business owners would say about 70% of what they do, they would classify as necessary regulation. It's the 30% that is driving them crazy. And you're quite yeah. right. That's the smallest businesses, they, pen, they spend over $7,000 per employee complying with government rules um, in Canada. Again, not all of that is red tape, but a good chunk of it is. Um, and that's about 10 times what the bigger businesses per employee costs are. So it's a serious disadvantage um, for smaller businesses. But here's a, here's a, a little stat that, that, that should sort of um, worry us all. Um, and that is when we ask business owners, um, and this is pre-COVID, but fairly, fairly recent pre, like it was, it wasn't that long before COVID hit that we asked this question, but we said, you know, um, would you tell your kid, like based on the, 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 you know, the regulation that you have to deal with, would you tell your kids to go into business? You know, what do you say? 63% said based on the regulatory burden, I would say to my kids, don't do it. Wow. And, you know, I, and that's much higher, by the way, than in the States. We asked the same question in the States and it was 40 some odd percent in the States. So again, this points to that we've got a, we've got a serious challenge uh, because we need entrepreneurship in Canada. We need strong entrepreneurship in Canada. And, um, and, and that I think is worrying, but you talk to business owners, they say there are whole new classes of rules that we didn't have to deal with um, Mm -hmm. when we started. Um, I talk to other business owners who say, you know, if, if, if we started today, there's no way we could be in compliance with everything we need to do. And others who have told me that um, even when they started, that that was tough and they basically gradually got in compliance as they, as they, could, as they could afford and manage to, uh, to do it. So uh, there's no question that it's, it's very, very challenging for business owners. 
just a couple of quick other things. Is I know in the past the CFIB has done estimates on what it might be costing, and you said earlier that it's not a perfect measure because there's so many other costs, like frustration might be one, <laughs> you know, emotional problems uh, dealing with some of the frustration of the regulation. Uh, but have you put sort of a dollar figure, just ballpark on what it's costing the economy? Yeah, uh, it's about thirty-nine billion, and that's just for businesses. That's not for wow. that's not that's not individuals and their two hours that they're spending in line to deal with their passports and the time off work they're 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 taking. So it's much higher than that, and it's a basement floor estimate. That's the cost of regulation. About eleven billion of that is red tape. Eleven billion yep. a year. So you know, some regulation. It, yeah, it's going to cost us to comply with it, but we're not arguing. You know, I don't think people are. Um, wanting to say that we shouldn't have to wear uh, hard hats and, and, and steel-toed boots on construction sites or traffic laws are, you know, are, you know those things, everyone agrees uh, with that. But there are, there's an awful lot of just forms that are longer than they need to be, rules that you just scratch your head and say, what the heck is that about? Um, unnecessary delays, wait times that are way too long. Um, that's the red tape uh, piece of it. And of course, it's a challenge because you're doing municipal, provincial, and federal levels of regulations. And I mean, people should understand we're talking hundreds of thousands of regulations uh, that people have to comply with. Uh, the other one is this, just quickly, you know, people should understand there wouldn't be near as big a lobbying business, multi-billion dollar lobbying business, if there wasn't this degree of red tape where people were working, uh, companies or individuals working hard to not be subject to them because they're unproductive or counterproductive. So that's a, just another side is the politics of this is, uh, you know, let me donate to your campaign. Maybe you'll give me an exemption on that regulation. Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. There's, um, you know, there's certainly that that piece of it. And just to come back to one of the other costs you were talking about is I'd love to be able to measure, you know, how long does it take your blood pressure to come back down to uh, uh, to normal after you've had one of these frustrating experiences where you're in voicemail jail or you're trying to get information off a government website so you can comply with some regulation that they want you to comply with and, and you can't do it. Um, we did a public opinion poll, actually, as part of Red Tape Awareness Week, too, and just you know, quickly, I'll share with you that about three quarters of uh, Canadians have recent, you know, have had a recent frustration with government that to deal with red tape. And interestingly enough, um, when we ask what level of government, it's the federal level of government that is is the big one. Now, maybe that, maybe that, maybe there's a correlation there with the passport problem. Um, yeah. But uh, but you know, people are 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 pretty frustrated, I think, with the federal level of government around some of the service um, that they're getting. Yeah. Well, as I say, exactly what my comment was about to open the show. Uh, look, l let me finish with this. Just one quick one, real short. When you think of absurd regulations, just give us a teaser what comes to mind. Oh, my gosh. Well, we've been talking a lot about forms, so I'll leave that one. But there's one that there's one that there's I'll, two quick ones. One bowling alley in Quebec that was required to have a permit for every single lane and every single piece of pinball equipment. Now we nominated that for one of our paperweight awards and, and then uh, the minister actually fixed it based on what we did. So there is hope here for the business owners out there. And so then we gave the minister golden scissors. The other one is this really stupid, this comes from a small town in, uh, in British Columbia up in Smithers. They were requiring a business owner to, it was a rural business 
and they were expanding the small expansion of the business. And in order to expand, they were requiring the business owner to build a small stretch of sidewalk that connected literally nothing to nowhere. There was no other sidewalk for miles around. And business owner said, well, spend it on any other thing that you think would help the community, save money. No, had to be a sidewalk connecting, uh, you know, yeah. nowhere to nowhere. And it's that kind of thing that just drives people bananas. Uh, you know, you're, you're just so right. I mean, I'm, I was nodding here just thinking of all the examples I could come up with, but I just want to congratulate the Canadian Federation of Independent Business and the work you're doing. It is so important to bring this forward. You know, we're at a time when you can't be casual about economic growth. We can't afford not to maximize the opportunities in this country. And if we can keep this in the spotlight, good things will happen. And good, good things will happen regardless of where you are in the political spectrum. Laura Jones, thanks so much for taking time. Thank you so much, Michael. Hey, just one more time. I want to remind you, it's very important to me to support Special Olympics. These are people who are completely ignored and forgotten regularly in society. And was there ever a bigger case than when it came to the pandemic? I don't remember a single health officer talking specifically about people with intellectual disabilities. Maybe they did, but I never heard it. And of course, people with intellectual disabilities were second only to people over 80 for mortality rates. So, I mean, it's just something that's not acceptable to me. Obviously, I've been supporting for a long time with our whole Money Talks team. And Ozzy and I are going to be plunging. That's right, plunging for dollars, I'll call that. And you know what? I am the biggest cold weather uh, water wimp in history. But I want two things. Either you donate to support us, or even better, if you'll come and join us on the plunge. But if you're going to donate, it's sort of a four-step thing, straightforward. Go to Google and just put in Polar Plunge BC. Polar Plunge BC. Then you click on Special Olympics. It'll be right there, right up front. Special Olympics BC. It's right there. And then when you get to that uh, page, then click on Donate. And then look for Michael Campbell's Money Talks as the team to donate to. So that's one set. The second thing is, hey, if you actually want to join us, how about just dropping us a line? Go at info at mikesmoneytalks.ca, info at mikesmoneytalks.ca, and just put in the subject line, I'll plunge. Then all the good stuff starts happening. Everyone's going to know that you're a huge supporter of people with intellectual disabilities. Anyways, important to me. I really appreciate the support.